Welcome to Pandemics, a series exploring the economic impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and what the coming months may hold for Canadians. My name is Stephen Maurice. I'm the editor of Scotiabank Perspectives. Today, we have Mark DeZormo back to finish our conversation about real estate. Mark's a senior economist at Scotiabank and has been watching the crazy goings on of the real estate market since the pandemic began and long before that. Mark, thanks for joining me again today. It's my pleasure, Steve. Thanks for having me. All right. In our last conversation, we looked at the real estate boom taking place across the country and some of the reasons it's happening and whether we can expect it to continue. But there's a few things we didn't really get to, and that's why we invited Mark back. So let's just jump into a couple of those things. Um, For a lot of buyers, maybe especially younger ones, the route to home ownership is often by way of the condo. Even during the pandemic, Summer, I still saw new towers going up in Toronto, and I think much the same was happening in other major centres. Mark, can you speak broadly about the role condos have played in the boom, whether there are similar trends in that area as there were perhaps in single-family homes, and uh, just sort of put that in context for us? Well, the story broadly for residential real estate so far has been a very strong rebound after that initial decline related to the pandemic lockdowns. That's true in multi-unit homes. It's true in uh, in single-family homes. Before the pandemic, most of the construction that was happening in Canada was in that multi-unit space. If we look at the rebound, as well as the rebound in, in things like starts and units under construction, as well as building permits, which give us a sense of the pipeline in the next few months, suggests that uh, condos, multi-unit dwellings are still the dominant piece of the construction sector, the residential construction sector. So it is still playing a role. On the other hand, if we look at the sales figures and the listings figures, we are seeing what looks to be, since the pandemic kind of started, a preference for those larger, more spacious single-family homes. The uh, the MLS home price index for single-family homes across Canada was up about 12% year over year in September versus, you know, more um, slower rates in sort of the six to nine percent for townhomes and apartments. This sort of suggests that uh, we may be seeing a shift towards those larger homes, more preference for that in a world where more and more people are working from home, but it is still early. There's been strength across the different unit types. And really that's been the story so far, at least nine months into this pandemic, or I guess six months in, when we look at when it arrived in Canada, uh, that's really been the story of the uh, the residential real estate market so far. And are there uh, are there regional differences around that? As I said, there's still lots of construction going on in Toronto, I think, and a couple of other big places. But is that is that a national phenomenon, or are there regional differences around the multi-unit or condo uh, sector? Well, we've been tracking regional discrepancies in demand supply balances for some time, looking at the regional, the uh, the residential real estate market. Cities in in and around, I should say, Toronto and Vancouver, these were places where the condo market, the multi-unit dwelling space, was really uh, really strong. You know, so we look at um, uh, uh, the number of unabsorbed units 
within that multi-unit space. In Toronto, at the end of 2019, it was on a per-person basis 65% below its 20-year average. So we look at uh, population, we look at the number of housing units available to be, uh, to be purchased, to be moved into. The per-person rate in Toronto at the end of 2019 was about two-thirds below its average over the last 20 years. That suggests very strong absorption of those multi-unit dwellings, even as construction is near some of the highest levels it's been in years. In Vancouver, there was an improvement in those balances. The, the um, per-person unabsorbed units were back up towards their 20-year average in 2019, but that came after uh, a period of, of, like Toronto, being very, very, um, very, very low, that of those available inventories. On the other hand, in the net oil producing provinces, they were grappling with an overhang of unabsorbed units in that multi-unit space that had accrued since the last commodity price correction that began in 2014. Calgary was about 70% above the last 20 years average when we look at that per person unabsorbed unit category. That was in each of the last two years before the pandemic. And Edmonton was about 60% above that average in 2019. So kind of the opposite story there in the net oil producing provinces where there was quite a bit more supply than there was demand. And that was resulting in much more modest price pressures than we had been seeing in Toronto and in Vancouver. Okay, and which maybe leads us a little bit into the other topic around that we were going to talk about, which is, uh, I think, related to demand. So if the supply was lower in places like uh, Toronto and Vancouver, which are also uh, the places that tend to attract the larger number, larger numbers of immigrants. So the supply for housing generally, I would guess, uh, would maybe be greater in those places since it tends to be the places where uh, where immigrants settle. Is is there a connection on sort of the supply side, uh, supply and demand side, I guess, uh, um, in those places and the levels of immigration that they receive, do you think? Well, if you had asked me to give this this presentation, this talk before the pandemic, there's a strong likelihood that I would have used the phrase human stimulus. And what that refers to is the way in which population growth has supported the Canadian economy over the last several years. It's really been a story across the provinces, places like Ontario, B.C., um, some of the Atlantic provinces were in the midst of some of the strongest population growth in years. In other regions, immigration and um, targeted programs for net non-permanent residents were helping to offset declines in population uh, due to, uh, I guess I should say, what would otherwise have been declines in population due to population aging. This was a story across the country. Uh, Canada was the only G7 country in the midst of population growth and uh, population growth acceleration. Canada was the only country in the G7 that was in the midst of accelerating population growth before the pandemic. And this was driving growth around the country. Uh, but it was particularly strong when we looked at places like Ontario and British Columbia again. And this was having a major impact on 
the residential real estate market. The demand side of the, the market, household formation, very, very robust before the pandemic. Where we are now is that we've had um, quite a, well, we've had the uh, borders closed, apprehension about traveling. And as a result of that, immigration is down almost 60% year over year, year to date as of August. So we've lost that key source of economic growth and that key source of demand when we look at the residential real estate market really across the country. So um, is that, it's an issue for the economy more broadly, but if, since we're talking about real estate, it, it doesn't appear to have had that decline in immigration this year, significant, doesn't appear to have had a huge impact on the real estate market, given how robust it has been. Although I suppose arguably it would have been even more robust from a price perspective if there was uh, more demand there. But as with other aspects of the economy, how, how important is it for the real estate market that we get back to, to the levels of immigration is, that we had even last year? Um, is, that, is that a significant driver? Yeah, well, the strength of the housing market, especially the rebound uh, amidst what's otherwise been a very challenging economic year with the pandemic, has been one of the more curious results during 2020. One interpretation is that the pace of household formation, that demand side of the market was so strong before the pandemic that following the lockdown, there was a whole bunch of pent up demand to be released, which is contributing to some of those strong sales figures and encouraging building activity in the residential real estate market. On top of that, rates uh, interest rates are very, very low, providing a floor for demand, and there's been all this policy support from provincial and federal governments. Now, the question is, can that demand persist if we do not return eventually to the population growth rates we saw in the last uh, several years. Those, those population growth rates anchored by immigration that contributed so handsomely to the Canadian economy broadly and to the residential real estate market in particular. Our view is that it will be vital of vital importance that to resume immigration flows over the medium term and over the longer run. This is important for Canada as uh, a country that has a low fertility rate and will need population growth to, uh, to continue to expand its economy over the longer run. Uh, but for the residential real estate market, immigration represents a key source of housing demand. And as such, it will be important that it resumes safely over the medium term if we are to continue to see uh, strength in the housing market going forward. And on a related but more minor point, I would guess, uh, in terms of its impact, um, any thoughts about, obviously, we've, Canada's also seen a significant decline this year in the number of international students uh, that uh, that have been coming here to study, and that has various impacts, but uh, in, including potentially, uh, maybe that would affect the rental market more than it would uh, the, the real estate market per se. Any Any thoughts about that? Well, I mentioned that immigration anchored Canada's population growth, but a lot of the gains in the last few years came from 
what we call net non-permanent residence. And this is an umbrella term that includes international students and temporary foreign workers. To give you some perspective, Canada's population increased by about 580,000 between uh, over 2018, 2019, 280,000, so about 50% came from net immigration, another 200,000, so about a third of the increase came from this net non-permanent resident category. Like in immigration, international student permits are down significantly so far this year as a result of border closures and apprehension about traveling, mobility restrictions to try to contain the spread of COVID-19. They're down by about 45% year over year, year to date. And so this is another key source of population growth that uh, we are not getting at the moment. And like immigration, we argue that it will be important to resume that safely, resume those international student flows safely over the longer run. Um, you know, we're getting a lot of uh, a lot of institutions, educational institutions embracing online learning. So that's a, a positive for the educational sector. But from the point of view of the residential real estate sector and, and more broadly, the local economy, having students studying remotely means that they won't be living in Canada and contributing quite as much uh, locally. So there is some uh, some downside there, even though education is continuing in this sort of remote world that we find ourselves in. Let me just switch gears uh, a little bit. We've talked mostly about residential real estate, and I wanted to just touch on uh, briefly on commercial real estate. Uh, we see big downtown office buildings having a tiny proportion of their usual populations and all the impact that has on, on the local economy there, as well as retail stores closing. I don't know what the percentage is or what the numbers are around uh, retail closures, but it's uh, it can be quite frightening and lots of shop fronts closing down. Others switching more to online sales. Those are two very different things. Maybe you can speak first to the to the commercial real estate space. Um, what are you seeing uh, around the impacts of that, the economic impacts of that, and the outlook longer term for you know your your big downtown office buildings? Yeah. Well, the question about what the work from home movement, to the extent that it becomes widespread, has on the economy is one that. Um, you know, a lot of people are thinking about, and I, I kind of realize the uh, the irony of the fact that we are currently the th doing a, a podcast remotely, where otherwise we might have been doing it in person, just as a result of the pandemic. So uh, it speaks to the fact that a lot of organizations are embracing working from home, allowing their their employees to do so, and um, continuing to operate in that way. So it's a question going forward. If we look at the data, though, uh, there it's still pretty early in this whole process. So kind of similarly to the residential real estate market, we're seeing some indications of a, a shift in preference. But uh, time will tell whether this is really the beginning of a, a widespread trend or uh, you know, a temporary kind of blip that will eventually be undone. If we look at the rents, of uh, commercial real estate, 
there was a very significant decline in the second quarter of 2020. Um, nationally, rents were down 3.1% in the second quarter. And that was you know, the time when uh, we had the most significant impact from COVID-19. Economic and social disruptions were taking hold across Canada. Commercial rent declines were broad-based. It happened across the country. Uh, places like Edmonton and Calgary, Vancouver, as well as, you know, further east, Montreal, Toronto, and Ottawa. Uh, but we did see an improvement towards the end of the second quarter, so which could be interpreted as, um, you know, the decline being a product of just the overall deterioration of the economy in the second quarter, rather than the beginnings of a huge shift towards companies working from home. Also on that front, if we look at more recent data, especially in Ontario and Quebec, there's been a similar story to the residential market where a steep decline in non-residential investment activity was followed by a very quick rebound and uh, to the point where overall activity returned to its pre-pandemic level fairly rapidly. So um, all that to say, it's still an uncertain outlook for commercial real estate. Um, you know, there was a decline that was quite significant in the second quarter, which would suggest the beginnings of adoption of work from home policies by a number of companies. But there has been an improvement both in uh, the pace of decline in rents, as well as residential, uh, non-residential investment activity since the peak lockdown period, which suggests there may be an improvement for the sector overall. Ultimately, this is all going to depend on A, the course of COVID-19, and B, how businesses adapt to um, employees working from home and how that impacts how they assess their office space needs. For sure. And I think, you know, <clears throat> the evidence now on both sides is probably fairly anecdotal and a lot of it will depend. It'll be a cultural elements uh, from business to business and sector to sector. I think maybe in the tech field, Shopify is, you know, talked about basically doing going entirely work from home. Other businesses I've heard of in maybe more traditional sectors are quite anxious to get people back in their seats and uh, and in meeting rooms. So I guess We'll just have to wait and see where that goes. So then just very briefly on the retail side, and I guess it's impossible to separate, you know, just the retail sector generally from the real estate implications of what's going on, but lots of bars and restaurants being affected, maybe other types of small stores are throwing in the towel uh, as, you know, particularly as a second wave hits. Um, what does What does Main Street look like? six months from now, uh, obviously. That's a huge question that you won't have a, <laughs> a definitive answer to, but uh, from, a, from a retail real estate perspective, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, there's no question that certain industries, uh, those around tourism, retail sector, the ones that uh, to operate require, require uh, some form of in-person gathering, that those industries have been disproportionately impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. And we're seeing that across uh, business closure rates, across employment. Um, it's clear that certain sectors have been more impacted than others by the pandemic. 
But we also saw a nice bounce back in uh, in a number of indicators. You know, retail sales across Canada have rebounded quite nicely since we started to reopen the economy. So, you know, ultimately, I think like much of the economic outlook these days for the retail sector, so much is going to depend on the course of COVID-19, how the virus evolves, whether it spreads significantly, whether there are more lockdowns necessary, and then ultimately how people and businesses respond to these various lockdowns going forward. All right. Well, I think we're going to have to wrap it up there. Mark, I want to thank you for coming in again, taking time out of your busy day to come and talk to us about this. It's been really interesting. Thank you so much. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks again, Steve. I've been speaking with Mark DeZormo, Senior Economist at Scotiabank. Uh, join us again next week for another episode of Pandanomics. And if you're enjoying the co- podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.